here's one more that I had a look at Judas how many Judases do you think were born in 2021 in Scotland Danny again none is the correct answer you can come and see me at the end as well there we go none is the right answer and today we can as we've looked at this passage we can kind of see why can't we we can kind of see why while lots of parents want to call their baby Jack or Noah or even Kevin on occasions um, nobody wants to call their baby Judas and we can see why as we've read the passage can't we let's just get a bit of background here so we're reading about the week which started with the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem and it was going to end very shortly with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus has been telling his disciples he's told them it was earlier on in chapter 26 verse 2 that he is going to be delivered up to be crucified and the chief priests and the elders they are plotting they want to arrest Jesus but they want to do it they want to do it quietly, they want to do it by stealth they want to arrest him and they want to kill him that's what their plan is but they're worried there's going to be an uproar and so they're plotting and they're planning and against that background we're about to see the dreadful thing that Judas did we're going to split our passage into three sections this morning um, pretty much just as the paragraphs break down so verses 14 to 16 we're going to look at Judas agreeing to betray the Lord Jesus and we're going to ask for each header we're going to ask a question I'm going to ask a question I'm not necessarily, these are not questions I'm going to ask you to shout the answers out at but just to reflect on yourselves and if you do want to chat through your own personal answer to any of these questions you're more than welcome to grab me at the end and say look can we chat about these things there are three fairly pointed questions and I'm not setting out to offend this morning but we do need to reflect ourselves on these the first question we're going to look at as we look at Judas agreeing to betray Jesus from verses 14 to 16 is the question is the Lord Jesus precious to you is the Lord Jesus precious to you so we go into this section from verses 14 to 16 as Judas agrees to betray Jesus we read about Judas Judas Iscariot as he's known one of the twelve one of those people who had kept company with the Lord Jesus we've heard of him before because Matthew much earlier on in his gospel lists the twelve disciples whom the Lord Jesus called and he refers to Judas as Judas Iscariot who betrayed him in fact the Lord Jesus had previously referred to the fact that one of those twelve he didn't say which one at that point but it's identified for us in John 6 and verse 70 Jesus said did I not choose you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil and John says he spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot for he one of the twelve was going to betray him and then we've actually just earlier in this just a few days previously we've seen Judas speaking out and it's a passage that's, referred to, that's, that's uh, recorded for us in John chapter 12. And here's what happened there. Mary, someone who loves the Lord Jesus very much, she takes a pound of expensive ointment and she anoints the feet of Jesus 
and she wipes his feet with her hair. In a tremendous act of devotion, an outpouring of her love for the Lord Jesus. And that was just a few days before what what we're reading of just now. What was Judas's reaction? Judas was indignant. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That was about a year's wages, basically. So this ointment was very, very expensive, very precious. This was basically about your total earnings for an average worker for a year. That was what that ointment, well that was Judas's sort of estimation of what that could have sold for. And John lets us into what was really going on in Judas's mind. He says he didn't say that because he cared about the poor because Judas was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it so for Judas we've already learned really that money was his driver money really was what he put in place of God money was his number one and when he saw someone pour out this expensive ointment in an act of adoration of the Lord Jesus, he couldn't handle it. He just thought, what a waste of money. That was a year's wages. And he just thought about the money. And we're told that actually, he was in charge of the, 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 the finances, and he had the, the money bag, and he used to put his hand into it, and he used to help himself and take what he wanted out of it. So that's the background of Judas. And... Obviously, Judas knows that the chief priests and the elders are plotting to kill the Lord Jesus. They want to find a way of getting him and killing him, but they don't want to cause an uproar. And Judas thinks, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for me to make some easy money. And he takes the initiative. He actively goes to them, to the chief priests, verse 14, and says, what will you give me? What will you give me? It's all about the money. What will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? And the price is negotiated and agreed. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. That was about what a labourer would earn for about four months' work. You see the contrast, don't you? Just a few days previously... Mary had lavishly expressed her love of the Lord Jesus with this ointment that was perhaps a year's worth, worth, worth a year's wages. The estimation that Judas and the chief priests had of the worth of the Lord Jesus much, much lower than that. 30 pieces of silver. It's actually quite significant, this 30 pieces of silver. You see, back in Old Testament times, there were all sorts of laws and rules for how they would conduct themselves. And in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32, we read of what was to happen if somebody's slave was gored by an ox. So we're reading in a context where slavery was, was, was a thing that... Uh, that happened and if somebody's slave was gored by an ox then the owner of the ox would give the owner of the slave how much? 
30 shekels of silver. 30 shekels of silver. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. And that was what between them Judas and the chief priests agreed was what they thought was the value of the Lord Jesus. That's what they thought he was worth. What a contrast. What a contrast with Mary for whom the most expensive thing she had was what she reached for. And said really nothing's too much. He's precious to me. You see, the world today, the world devalues the Lord Jesus. The world sees the Lord Jesus as somebody to be laughed at. Somebody who will provide material for comedians to use. Someone who will be ignored by many. And the world counts him as worthless. But the Bible says to those who believe, he's precious. To those who realise that he is the Son of God. To those who realise that he is Lord. To those who realise that he is the Saviour and trust him as their Saviour. To those who realise that it is only through faith in him that we can be forgiven and have peace with God. And look forward to spending eternity with him. To us, he's more precious than any price you could put on him. More precious than the 30 pieces of silver that Judas thought was a reasonable price and the chief priest thought was a reasonable price. He's precious. Judas just sees him as a way of making a modest amount of money. Some easy money. That's what Judas thinks about it. So, question number one. I'm not looking for shouting out answers, but feel free to come and chat later about this if you want to. Is Jesus precious to you? Is Jesus precious to you? So, to Judas, Jesus was obviously not precious. Judas is not a true believer in the Lord Jesus. We're going to look more at just the fact that he was a fake. He was all about the appearance and he looked the part and so on. But he wasn't a true believer. And to him, all that the Lord Jesus is, is an opportunity to make a bit of money. So Judas has got his money. He takes his 30 pieces of silver and he says, well, I better keep my end of the bargain. And he seeks an, an opportunity from that moment on, verse 16, to betray him. Because the Lord Jesus knows all this. He's about to reveal all that. He's about to make it clear that he knows all this. But someone who has kept company with him, kept really close company with him, over such a long period of time, that one of those people is about to betray him. So what does he do? It's interesting what he does. His focus is in getting his disciples, telling his disciples to prepare for the Passover. Let's look at verses 17 to 19. Preparation for the Passover. If the first question I asked you to consider was, is Jesus precious to you? 
The next question we're going to consider just now is, are you trusting in the Lamb of God? And by the time I've got to the end of this little section, you'll know what, what I mean. See, so it's the first, first day of uh, this festival of unleavened bread that lasts seven days. It's very much often lumped in, it's lumped in together with, with uh, Passover. It uh, happened in the month Nisan in the Jewish calendar from... Uh, 15th to 21st of the month Nisan, it was March or April in our calendar is when it would fall. You can read a bit about it in Exodus chapter 12 or Leviticus chapter 23. But the Passover would, would happen, well preparations were made on the Thursday afternoon, which was the 14th day of this Jewish month, Nisan. And the preparations were made on the Thursday afternoon so that the Lord Jesus and the disciples were going to eat the Passover after sundown. On the Thursday evening. So the disciples say, well, where should we prepare for you to eat the Passover? Verse 17. And the Lord Jesus gives directions. And uh, he tells how they're going to find a a certain man. And uh, we get a bit more more detail in one of the other gospel accounts of how they'll they'll recognise him. As he's doing something that wasn't commonly done by men in that day. Carrying a a, a pitcher of of, of water. And uh, um, they find the man. And the Lord Jesus says, when you find this man, say, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples go and they do what they've been told and uh, they do what the Lord Jesus said and they prepare for the Passover feast. Well, you might be saying, what's the Passover? And to get the context of the Passover we have to go back well over a thousand years earlier. And we'll go back to a time well over a thousand years earlier when the people of Israel, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. And God has already sent nine plagues on Egypt. You can read about it all in the early chapters of Exodus up to chapter chapter 12. is where we start to read about the Passover. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is determined. His heart is hardened. I'm not going to let these people go. I'm not letting them go free. They're my slaves and I'm not letting them go. And God is about to send one more, one terrible plague on Egypt it's going to show Pharaoh exactly who God is because Pharaoh says you know what I don't recognise this God of heaven and before he's out he's going to realise exactly who this God of heaven is here's what's going to happen and it's solemn and it's sombre basically at midnight on a particular night every firstborn in the land of Egypt was going to die he said the people of Israel would be spared and here's how the people of Israel would be spared. God tells the people of Israel, each household, if you take a lamb, a lamb that's got no blemish, no fault, and they're going to kill it. And they're going to take some of the blood of the lamb and they're going to put it on the doorposts and the lintel above the door of their house. And then they're going to eat that Passover lamb. And that night, the Lord said, I'm going to pass through Egypt. I'm going to strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Every house. Rich to poor and everybody in between. And he says to the people of Israel, he says, here's, 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 what, here's my assurance for you. When I see the blood, the blood of that lamb, on the doorposts, 
on the lintel. I'll pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. You'll be safe. If you're in that house that's covered by the blood. And you know what? From then on God says to his people, you're going to keep that Passover meal. And you're going to keep on doing it year after year after year. And it's going to be a reminder to you. And it's going to be a reminder to your children. And a way of you telling your children, here's what I did to deliver you from slavery. And you know what? It's always a way of it. But everything that God said would happen, did happen. That night, it was, it must have been awful. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt struck down. The people of Israel were spared. And they were free to go and they were freed from slavery. And they'd been spared from facing the death that had completely engulfed the land. And they were free. I wonder if that reminds you of something. It reminds you of lots of things, doesn't it? Slavery. You see, slavery is a terrible thing. And so often, maybe you've heard someone say or you've thought it yourself, I feel like I'm enslaved. Enslaved to, to sin. Can't break free from it. Tried time after time after time. And I can't get rid of it. Or maybe you realise, well, I'm a sinner and God is the holy, righteous God of heaven. And I've sinned against him. And I stand to face his judgement. Is there any way I can be spared having to face the judgement? And then we see the lamb. The Passover lamb. A little picture to us. Of the one who is the lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. A little picture to us of the Lord Jesus. Completely without fault. In every way. The perfect son of God. And in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, we read this. Chapter 5 and verse 7. Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You see, what happened in Egypt that night was awful. It's a little picture of something that's even more, more awful than we can ever imagine. And that's what the Lord Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God, endured for us. As he gave himself for us. Dying on the cross at Calvary for us. I mean how grateful would the children of Israel be. That night for their, their Passover lamb. How grateful would every firstborn in each of those households be. That because of that Passover lamb. They were alive and they were free. How grateful should we be? Well, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, and I hope and pray that each one of you is, do, is trusting in him, you can say, because of him, because of his death on the cross for me, 
I'm free. I'm no longer a slave. I'm free to go. I'm free to live. And I'm never going to face the judgment that I stood to face. And every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can rest in him. Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You know there's a, there's a hymn that I came across. I think I heard it for the first time last year. And uh, it's called We Have a Lamb. It's written by the words were written by Glenn Scrivener. Phil Moore put it to a tune. It says, For mistakes we can't forget and the sins that still beset, we have a lamb. For our fraught and anxious realm, for the fears that overwhelm, we have a throne. We sing worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain for the world, royal arms unfurled. We sing glory, glory to the Christ, your cross, our fountain of life. For our lost and lonely hearts, for our gnarled and tangled paths, we have a shepherd. For our dry and listless souls and our thirst for being whole, we have a stream. For regret and ravaged years, for all sweet and bitter tears, we have a father. For our treks through burning sands to our home in promised lands, this hope till all is done, our God, the three in one. We have a lamb. Now here's the thing that's remarkable. The Lord Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. He knows that the very next day, the very next day, he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be crucified. So what does he do? He keeps the Passover. He keeps the Passover because he was always obedient to the word of God. But here's something really poignant, isn't it? He's there, eating that Passover meal. That actually kind of, in a sense, speaks of what he is about to do. It looks back to God delivering his people from slavery. To that Passover lamb. That spotless lamb. There's a little picture to us. Of the lamb of God. Christ the Passover lamb sacrificed. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there he is the night before he's about to be slain. The spotless perfect lamb of God. And he keeps the Passover. So if question one that I ask you to consider was, is Jesus precious to you? Question two is, are you trusting in the Lamb of God? And so, the Lord Jesus and the disciples gather that evening. Move on to verses 20 to 25, to the Lord Jesus foretelling his betrayal. And we've got one final question for you to consider. And I hope you'll forgive me being so direct, but the question is this. Are you for real? I don't mean to offend, but are you for real? Here's, here's what I mean. So the Lord Jesus is reclining at table, verse 20, with the disciples and they're eating and uh, he tells them something that's going to make them very sorrowful. One of you, one of you will betray me. And they're very sorrowful. One of them, one of the twelve, who had kept the closest company with the Lord Jesus through all that time, gone with him, been with him, heard all his teaching, seen all his miracles, and one of them was going to betray him. You think, how can this be? And they start to question, is it me? They say, is it I, Lord? 
Is there something that I'm going to do? Maybe they're thinking even inadvertently. Is there something I'm going to do or something I'm going to say that's somehow going to betray him? They say, is it I, Lord? The Lord Jesus says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray him. Well, in the context of the meal, they all would have done that. It doesn't narrow it down, but... In John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus says, It's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And he dipped the morsel he gave it to Judas. And what a solemn thing Judas is about to do. You know, the Lord Jesus says, Look, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. God is sovereign, God is in control. But that doesn't remove the awesome, awful responsibility from Judas about what he's about to do. You know, back in the Psalms it was, it, it, it was foretold, even my close friend who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It was going to happen exactly as God had foretold it, it was going to happen. God's purposes would be fulfilled in the way that God had planned, but that didn't spare, that didn't absolve Judas of the awful responsibility. The Lord Jesus says, It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, finally, Judas speaks up, verse 25. Is it I? Doesn't say Lord. Is it I, Rabbi? Is it I, teacher? Didn't call him Lord. You see, let's call a spade a spade. Judas was a fake. There's no other conclusion we can come to from reading the word of God. But that Judas, who had kept company with followers of the Lord Jesus for years, he was a fake. He probably looked apart. He probably said all the right things. You know, when the Lord Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't all go, oh, it must be Judas. He looked apart. He sounded apart. He'd even got to a position of responsibility. He was in charge of the finances. He was trusted. Stilled by the other disciples. And yet, he was a fake. And uh, he's just using his position for personal gain. And he's just using it for what was in it for him. There was money in it for him, and money meant a lot to him. The Lord Jesus knew what he was like, he knew what he was like all along, he made that clear. And uh, yet Judas was a fake. Now here's the solemn thing. It's possible to look the part. It's possible to say all the right things. It's possible to keep company with Christians. It's possible to have a friendship group that consists of Christians. It's possible even to give an impression of a real spirituality and say the right things in front of the right people whenever we're in public. It's possible even to take a position of responsibility in a church or a Christian organisation and get to a position of prominence. It's possible to do all that and still be a fake. It's possible to do all that and still not have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus to be an unbeliever. Someone who can't truly say I recognise him as Lord. I recognise him as my Lord. You know, here's the solemn question as we just draw things to a close now. It's one for us all just to, you know, just have a think. Are you for real?
you know, we've got to con- consider that question quietly, personally, honestly. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not asking how long you've been coming here. I'm not asking how often you come here. I'm not asking who you know here, or which well-known Christians you know, or who your relatives are, or who your friends are, or anything like that. I'm not asking, can you say the right things in the right place? Do you look the part? Do you sound the part? Do you dress a certain way? Here's the question. Here's what the, here's the burden of the passage this morning. Is the Lord Jesus precious to you? For to us who believe he's precious. Are you trusting in the Lamb of God? The one who was sacrificed for us. And are you for real? Are you personally trusting in him? Do you know, if you want to talk about any of these things, I, as always, would love to stick around and we'll be delighted to stick around and chat more. Because if you're sitting there thinking, well, actually... Actually, things aren't right. Actually, I don't have that personal faith in the Lord Jesus. You know what? You can turn and trust in him. You can turn from your sin and you can believe in him. The one who died. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'd love to chat more with you about that. Solemn passage. Lots to reflect on. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to a passage like this and we see the solemnity of the issues. We see that what you are interested in is not whether somebody looks the part or sounds the part or knows people who are Christians or goes to all the right places it's whether or not someone has faith in the Lord Jesus pray for everybody here so perhaps just examine their own hearts on this matter we thank you for the Lamb The spotless Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you that to us who believe he is so precious. May it be that if there is anyone here. And they've never come to know the Lord Jesus as their saviour. That they might just turn to him. Cry out to him for salvation. Help us just not to get distracted from it these matters until things are put right give thanks to the Lord Jesus as we pray in his name Amen